last week we, we talked about um, kind of words of wisdom that, that Paul had for Timothy. And we, and we talked about um, really pursuing God and, and, and making sure that we're standing for people and not just against people. And, and this morning we're going to continue that. As, as we really dive, I want to dive into a, a topic before we get to the theme of the day. Um, because I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that at the root of all the gross, nasty stuff that happens in the world, from abortion to, to alcoholism to whatever's going on, I believe at the root of it is, is the original arrogance and pride of Satan. And, and what happens is, is this sin stuff happened to Adam and Eve because Satan wanted to be God. He wanted to overthrow God. And, and I remember this moment in my life last year around, um, oh man, I'm not used to them being out of the playoffs so quickly. I think it was uh, May. But this team that happened to play yesterday for the first time, of the professional level, I'm not going to mention their name because I'm going to use it in a negative light tonight. This team that I love uh, and, and adore and really know that a lot of the guys on the team stand for really good things. This team was in, 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 engaged in a battle last year in, in a playoff series in the, in the sport of ice hockey. And they played this rivalry that they had with these evil men. <clears throat> and they rectified that yesterday. Anyway, again, I'm not going to mention names. We can do that. It's good. Anyway, back to church. So, so what happened was is these guys, these guys of integrity were playing their sport. And, and there came a point in the final game of this series where they knew all hope was lost. They knew they could not win. And a lot of you hockey fans out there remember from yesterday's game how they kept mentioning those goons and the attitudes and, and how they just took chip shots and they, they were violent. And, and what happened was is our team literally tried to hurt the other team because they figured if I can't win, we don't want them to go further. And all too often in sports, right, sports people, that's, it's, it's, it's not what we want to strive for, but it takes us over. And so what happens, I remember playing rugby in college and football myself, that, that if my team was losing, I wanted to make sure the other team paid for it. In basketball, if you're down by a couple of points, you know what everybody screams in the last final seconds? Foul! Foul, foul, foul! I'm not saying that there is a foul, saying you should foul. Jack them up! Do something! Now there's strategies in that and all that stuff. But hear what I'm saying. Satan is like that. He has been told by God when Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus was on the cross and rose from the dead, Satan was basically told, you lose. You can't win. And let me tell you, if you love Jesus this morning, I'm going to, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you what happens in the end of the world. We win. It's that simple. And so what happens is, Satan being the knucklehead that he is, is so angry and so irate at God that he's going to make it, you know, you're not going to be in hell one day, so I'm going to make it hell for you now. He wants to torture. He wants to bring you down and see who he can ensnare because he knows he's not going to the next round of the playoffs and he's going to make you pay. The scripture this morning tells us the days are evil that we live in. Well, guess what? They have been for about 2,000 plus years. The moment Jesus rose from the dead, the end started. The moment he conquered sin, there was this thing set in place and Satan is mad. Because he will not and cannot win. 
And so that's good news for us. But where we find ourselves today is back talking about Paul. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. I've told you this a couple times now. It's a letter to instruct Timothy because he's a young preacher. Paul's about to be you know, martyred. He's about to be killed. And so he's trying to leave a legacy in the church. And so what happens is, is he's giving Timothy all this wisdom, everything from handle the scriptures correctly. You know, don't, don't be engaged in stupid conversations and stupid arguments. He says stand for things. Don't just stand against stuff. And this morning in 2 Timothy 3, he, he, he gives us a, a picture that in a moment it can be confusing if we don't properly understand sin. And so I want to start this morning by talking about the book of Proverbs. Go to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to, we're going to get there. And let me just say this. We've encouraged you the past couple of weeks to be reading through the Bible in a year. I want to commend you if you are trying to do that, if you're struggling through that. Um, I want to commend you. Keep at it. Because as I said, the, the root of all the problems in the world is sin. The answer to every problem in the world starts right here. And so keep your nose in the Word of God. Keep studying the Scripture. Bring your Bible to church. Take notes in it. Write in it. I'm going to have you write in your Bible here in a minute. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3. But I want to start in Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, uh, the, the, the guys that write this stuff are, are talking about, all throughout it, they talk about three types of sinners. And I want to be very clear about something this morning. Sin is sin. In the eyes of God, as we talked about last week, there's no sin scale. Sin is sin. And, and so what Solomon and, and the wisdom guys are giving us is they're giving us a portrayal of three types of sinners. Not, not layers of sinners, okay? Sin is sin. And, and they talk about this, this person who's called the, the naive person. Okay, they talk about this guy. He just kind of stands around and, and something goes wrong. He goes, oops. Or maybe he doesn't, you know, really fully understand the magnitude of what he's doing. He's just kind of standing there going, eh, I sinned. Dang it, I should probably not do that. Then there's the fool it talks about in the book of Proverbs. Now, the fool is the guy who's, like, so excited about stuff. He's, like, running around and kicking over things and doesn't even realize he's sinning, but he's just, he's so out of control and reckless and doesn't realize how messed up and broken he actually is that that he is just a, a, a disaster waiting to happen. You've probably seen those people. Maybe you were that people. I was that people. And then there's the scoffer. And and Paul talks a lot about the scoffer. The scoffer is somebody who sins. And they're kind of cool with it. And not only are they cool with it, they look at their sin. Let's pretend this chair is my sin. They look at their sin and they go, you know what? This is pretty comfortable. I like this. And they sit down in their sin and they, they kick back and they are comfortable in their sin. And a true scoffer not only is comfortable in his sin, he embraces it and and rejects God, ultimately. And let me tell you, if you're ever worried that maybe you've rejected God, the fact that you're worrying about that says that you haven't. Because the scoffer doesn't care. Scoffer's done. He rejects God. And so this morning we find ourselves in the book of 2 Timothy. And it says these words. And, I, and here, let me just read it to you first. I'm going to be all over the place today. I'm mad about this whole thing. It's, it's, it's awful. It says, uh, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. When are the last days? After, they're now. It's, it's old. Game over. People will be lovers of themselves. You know what? We're going to do this. We're going to read this. And I want you to take a pen out. And as I read this, I don't want you to look to the left or to the right. I want you to underline the words 
that I read that you struggle with. And I want you to be honest. Because unless we're taking an honest, hard look at ourselves, we're not going to be able to identify problems. And as I read this, I want you to feel convicted about what I read. And let me tell you, this, is, this has been a hard uh, couple of sermons to do. A lot of conviction here. But, th- but there's freedom in it. So, so I want you to underline the words that you struggle with as I read them. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Students, kids, we're all kids, by the way. Did you ever notice how much emphasis the Bible puts on honoring your mother and father and, and listening to them? I just, as a youth pastor, I just want to point that out real quick. You're welcome. <laughs> Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, being super religious but not expecting anything to happen. This is what Paul says to Timothy about these people. And I don't know about you, but when I did the little exercise, because Paul says to mark it, I, I marked it, and I'm terrified of how many of those things are marked in my life. And what Paul says next really broke me, because he tells Timothy, have nothing to do with those people. And, and I think as a congregation, you know, we need to look at those things and we need to come to the realization that every single one of us at one point in our lives, we're going to struggle with those things. Why? Because we're going to win. Satan is not worried about attacking a neutral target. He is a lot of things, but he's not a dummy. He's not going to waste his time going after people that are already lost. He's going to target military targets. He's going to tactically attack the people that are making a difference for him. And church, when you begin to live and strive like a child of God, when you pursue righteousness, you're going to struggle with these things more. There's an old saying that the closer you get to the light, the more spots of gross are revealed. Paul's saying to have nothing to do with these people. And church, I want to ask you this morning, as Paul is using this as an instruction manual for what awful people are, where do you sit in that? Now, when I first read this, I really beat myself up. I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm like most of those. Does that mean I'm lost? Does that mean like I'm not pursuing God the way I do? No. Because in this instant, Paul is convicting our hearts. Paul is giving us a message. And I think there's a lot that as a church we can take from that lesson. But Paul is specifically speaking here to Timothy about people who are denying God. He goes on to say these words. Let me, we need to deal with the sin in our lives. Do you realize that? 
We all do. There there is things in our lives that should not be there that are on this list. And until we cry out to God and ask him to take them from us, they will control us. We want to talk about human trafficking. We got to start by untrafficking ourselves, by stop prostituting ourselves to sin, by stop living in slavery to sin. And I'm in that struggle with you. And we got to come alongside of one another and stand for life there, starting with the scriptures and then looking at our own lives. Because then he goes, he says, don't have anything to do with these people that are detesting God. He says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. Now, in our context, we hear that and think, oh, he's taking advantage of these poor ladies that, that, you know, are fond of men or something. But what this is actually saying in its proper context is people who were just looking for an answer. These people, there was, there was people who were enslaved to their sin. They were trapped in their sin. And so they were literally looking to, to Mars Hill or to whoever that would give them an answer to, to the, the, Roman, the Greek, Greco-Roman gods or whatever. They were just looking for an answer. And you have these people who are going around teaching falsehoods and, and teaching counter-gospel things. And then you have these, these women in this instance who, who kind of fell a trap to that. These con men tricked them. He's saying they worked their way into the homes of the weak-willed women and they are lo- who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Do you get what these people are? These are people who take advantage of the hurt. They take advantage of the broken. They take advantage of the lost. They do it for their own selfish gains. And while Paul describes a list of sins that we as a church need to recognize in our own lives, I'm here to tell you right now, there is a different kind of evil at work in this world than what we can think up. The types of people that Paul is preaching about right now are people we as the church need to stand in their face and say, you were wrong. In 2006, I went to Kenya God put it on my heart, this whole water problem. It's the most abundant thing on earth, but more people die from it in a day than I can even begin to talk about. And so I went to Africa to help try to make a difference. And, and while in Kenya, we're driving through Nairobi, and, and, and I see these people in cages. And I never had heard of this trafficking thing. I, I watched movie. I watched Gettysburg with youth group kids, and, and, and we are all under the belief that slavery's dead and it's gone. But there are over 27 million slaves in the world today being taken advantage of by evil, sinful, broken people that need to hear about Jesus. Slavery, in fact, is not dead. It's more alive ever now than it has been. That should make us sick in our stomachs. I was at a place called Joska. There's a few people in this room that have been there with me. And the first trip I took, I met a man named Jack Odiembo. And Jack, we, we walked in, and there's this, this older kid sitting amongst all these younger boys that had been taken off the streets in Nairobi uh, to be discipled and ministered to. And Jack had no arms. They were just cut off. And I'm not talking surgically. And I remember asking Jack, what happened to you? And he began to tell me his life story. He talked about how at, the early, at an early age of like six or seven, he actually didn't know his actual age, but that's what he estimated. He said, I was like six or seven, my parents died of AIDS and, and there was nowhere for me to go, so I went out to the streets. 
And he said, I just tried to survive on my own. And then he met a guy who, who came alongside of him and wanted to take care of him and said, you know, we, we'll be your family. We'll take care of you. But you need to do this, this, and this, and this. And over the next couple of years of his life, Jack became a master thief, being taken advantage of as a little child, being manipulated and being used by a guy to do horrible things to people. I remember him telling me the story of how they used to give him this clear glass liquid in a jar, and they said, if anybody ever tries to stop you, you bust this over their head and you throw a match at them. And he told me that the first time, I think he was like 9 or 10, he said, here I was, and the guy with me said, hit him with that jar. And, and he said he shattered this glass over this man's head, and they lit him on fire over a radio. A little child, 10 years old, burning a man. Because somebody was manipulating and taking advantage of his innocence. Jack went on for years living in this lifestyle, thinking this was okay. One day they were robbing a train. And while robbing the train, Jack tripped and he was pushed under the train. And as he went to get up, the wheels cut his arms off. He was thrown into a dumpster and left for dead. He says he crawled his way out of the dumpster and walked into the main streets where somebody grabbed him and took him to a hospital. And, and because they don't have any health care of any sort, they simply seared his arms and then threw him out. He spent the next several years of his life crawling through dumpsters with no hands, no arms, and he pushed his face through the dumpster until he found chapatis that were left over. And I mean, let me tell you about leftovers in Kenya. We wouldn't feed our animals them here in the United States. And this young man, for years of his life, dug around. Some of you guys know him. Until one day, a guy by the name of John Mutahi came alongside of him and said, what are you doing out here? Don't you know that there's a Jesus that loves you? There's a family that loves you? And we want to see you taken care of? And they took Jack off the street, and they brought him to the Joska home for boys. Let me tell you something, church. There is an evil that exists in this world that we can't explain and we don't want to begin to understand. They take people like Jack, they take little precious girls and they, they put them into sexual slavery. The, the horror stories coming out of China is what they do with their daughters. Church, this must sicken us. The, the hardest part I had about Africa is, is I always wanted to go to Africa, but when I got back, I wish I'd never had because as William Wilberforce's quote says, there is, a, there is a bliss to ignorance, let me tell you. I sleep far less at night because of the things I have seen. And I pray God will burden you and haunt you the way that he has me. Because somebody has to stand up for these people. We sit in the lap of luxury people. We have been blessed with so much. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that we're, take, we're to take the blessings and, and things that God has poured upon us and we're to administer them to other people. Church, we have to mobilize. We have to stand up. We have to speak. Jack Odiembo, story didn't end there. Because when Jack got together, he, he accepted Christ into his heart and, and he began to pray and, and talk to God about why did you put me through this? Why did you put me through this? Why did you put me through this? And I'm proud to say in 2008, we put arms on Jack Odiembo. In 2009, he, now, he, he moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where he's going to be finishing seminary. 
to be a pastor, to go back and to minister to people that did this to him. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we as a church could stand up like that and just love people, if we could just stand up and have a loud voice for God, like the people that came around Jack, like Jack himself, we can change forever. I'm going to tell you right now, It's so easy to do. We get to be on the team that we know wins. We're just being asked to have the courage to stand up in the midst of some ugly stuff. Can you do that? I'm telling you right now, and I promise you this is a fact. You can quote me on this forever. We win. We're on the winning team. They can't form a weapon against us. There's nothing they can put up against us. As a church, we should be able to look at this stuff and say, Satan, bring it. And I know what I'm asking for when I say that. And I mean it. Because my God is alive, my God is big, and we win. Amen? Church, I want to say this to you. Paul describes to us here evil. We are all one mistake away. You hear me say it a lot. We're all one mistake away from becoming that scoffer, from becoming the world's worst human being. It is our constant dependency on God, our continual struggle with the word, that we can grow and we can get to closer to God. And it's by doing those things and asking God to relieve us from the bondage of slavery that we are in in our sin, when we can do that, God will use us to help liberate others. There's all kinds of trafficking going on in the world today. From sexual to pure slavery. I think of these guys in Las Vegas that I met that clicked the tickets I heard Meredith tell a story about how how these guys are just as enslaved. But you'd never know it. Open our eyes, God. Open our heart. Let us see the evil in the world and let us stand unified as a church. The squeaky wheel is loud, but let me tell you, when the people of God come together, our voice is so much louder. If the church would just unify, we could do some amazing things for God. Are you in the word? Are you growing spiritually? There's people out there that need to hear this. And as men and women of God, we've got to stand up and be the voice for the 72 million people out there, excuse me, 27 million people out there that don't have one. Think about that. Think about every time you think about the civil war and the grossness of slavery in America and how ugly and awful that was to the fact that it's so prevalent today. I pray that we will be haunted by that this morning. But I pray that we will know that there's hope and there's an opportunity to stand for those that don't have a voice. Won't you pray with me, church? God, as we look down in that scripture, there's that whole section... It talks about how Jonas and Jambres, the two magicians in Pharaoh's court, opposed you when they kind of started taunting Moses. And Moses turned the snake to a staff when requested to make a, a sign for you. And so Jonas and Jambres came, Lord, and they, they turned a staff into a snake as well. But Moses' staff ate theirs. <laughs> and God, you will devour evil. And the back of the book tells us you're going to win. 
Help us, God, to pursue righteousness. Help us to have courage. Help us to have strength. Maybe some of us in here, God, are are people who are living with somebody who is oppressive like that. Help us to forgive. Maybe we've been somebody that's come through that type of bondage one way or another, God. Give us the strength to stand for ourselves. Surround us with good people. God, maybe we've been the person oppressing people. Truth of the matter is, God, that any, anybody that's ever looked at any type of pornography or something like that is fueling this problem. Convict our hearts, God. When you think of the drug industry, just all the things out there that there are slaves everywhere, God. Convict our hearts, God. Help us to not be silent. Help us to fight correctly. Help us to not get caught up in stupid conversation and silly squabbles, but help us to do this right, Lord. Help us to love the scoffer. God, give us the strength and power to do this as a church. And help us to be the voice for those 27 million, God. In your name we pray. Amen.